And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all... It's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. This is the Athletic Football Show. Welcome to the Athletic Football Show. I'm Robert Mays. Joining me tonight... It's my good friend Nate Tice. Nate, how you doing, buddy? Doing well. I uh, I realized before as we're prepping for this, I'm out of coffee, so I had to go with Red Bull, <laughs> sugar free Red Bull that oh, we had good. in the fridge. I'm sure that's going to go great for both. So of us. this is gonna this is gonna be a great show. I, I'm very very excited, and I believe geeked up is a good term to, to describe my feelings right now. It's been a weird night for me. Uh, Nine Inch Nails is playing about three miles from my house uh, to close out Riot Fest and watching the Bears lose that game. I'm pretty sure there would have been more. There was more angst in my living room in my basement watching the Bears lose than there would have been at the Nine Inch Nails show. So it's been a complicated evening for me. Two different versions of Hurt going on you know <laughs> that's, that's exactly right it's exactly, that's exactly right that's what, what i was going, going for we got a lot <laughs> to dig into today i wanted to mention right off the top here we're not going to get to some of the games there we often don't get to some of the games there's no way we can hit all of them on every sunday night so we're going to do a new show starting on mondays with me and Deontay. we're calling it the monday hangover some of the games that we did not get to on sunday night we're going to get to tomorrow that includes the Bears-Packers game, which we are not going to dig into on this show, but we will be talking about tomorrow afternoon, 3.30 p.m. Eastern on this YouTube channel. Highly encourage you guys to come check that out. I think it's just a way for us to hit more stuff and more Deontay on the show is definitely better for the show. This podcast might be longer than that Sunday night game. 
Like that was that was honestly so quick. That was such a fast game. I couldn't believe it. I looked down. It was, it was eight oh five my time. I was like, "Are we going live like now?" Like that. that yeah, was that just- was the problem. Is that I wasn't done prepping for this show by the time that game was over. So <laughs> I, I like the Sunday night games to last a little bit longer. I need a little few more passes from the teams involved. Right. We are going to start this with this show tonight with that crazy ending, crazy second half period in Dolphins Ravens. Where do you even want to start with this game? <laughs> I I really don't know. I think I'm going to start. I'm going to start with. I'm going to give Mike McDaniel a little bit of love here. I, yeah. I think that's where I'm going to start. I there are some really fun designs here. Not just uh, just a mix of who touches the ball. Like last week, I, I made a joke that six different guys uh, got to carry outside of Tua. Like they're just trying to find ways to manufacture offense in the run game, but also just in the passing game today. Just some simple stuff. Like nothing. The play concepts weren't crazy, but the window dressing was really, really fun. And uh, I, I can give a couple examples. The one I tweeted about it, but it was uh, Waddle's big play early in the game. It was a stick nod concept. And you guys have heard me talk about stick, which is a double outs. And I roll my eyes usually at that play. But this version, stick nod, is you fake stick, and then the guy on the interior goes vertical. Usually it's like you a do- condensed out and up. It's yes, very and quick. Out you go out and then up from the inside. Usually that plays around with the tight end. If you watch the Rams for years with Jared Goff, it was the tight end doing it. Or you see uh, Kittle doing it with the 49ers. It's a big Shanahan guys love that play. Yeah, the Dolphins did it with Waddle. And Waddle, I don't know if people know, is a very, very, very fast football player. So he left Patrick Queen in the dust. Patrick Queen had a a rough day today. He he was he was on a lot of highlights today in a in a bad way. It, you know when you see a guy getting dunked on on a poster, like he got posterized a couple times today. It was it was rough. But that was one little design. Um, the touchdown that Waddle had early on, the the little screen touchdown, the red zone. Terry yep. kills in the backfield of that play. Yep. Just forcing communication from the Ravens defense that likes to be in a lot of different coverages. So a lot of DBs on the field. So they're trying to sort stuff out. And then the other one I uh, I tweeted as well was it was a little bubble play to Tyreek Hill early in the game. But what was so cool is the the window dressing on it was they were in 21 personnel with a fullback and a tight end that's not Kasiki. So it forced the Ravens to go into a 3-4, a base defense. So you got slower linebackers on the field. They run a bubble, but then they have Alec Ingold, the fullback, in the slot. And he's basically the lead blocking for Hill. It was, it was more or less a one-man sweep play with a one-man lead block. And it, it's just that little wind dressing made it for a very easy day for Tua. And that's why and it reflected in the stats at the end of the game. When I watched the Dolphins offense back, uh, two takeaways. Two was fine. We, we can get into what he did and didn't do in this game. Yep. The two biggest pass plays of the game today for the Dolphins are ridiculous coverage busts by the Ravens. Right. They had Marcus Williams and Kyle Hamilton line up in the same spot following the same guy on the Tyreek Hill touchdown down the left yep. sideline. They're, they're trying then, to run cover two there. I, I know for sure that was that one of those guys has to fly back into the deep half and they didn't. <laughs> so. Some of the concerns when you're trying to disguise all of this stuff yes. and some of those highlights you talked about with Patrick Queen. He's mugged up and sprinting backwards in this game multiple different times, and there was a little bit of confusion. And then on the Tyreek Hill touchdown where he had to wait for it a little bit at the goal line, Kyle Hamilton's flying down on something. I didn't get a good angle of it about what sort of coverage they were exactly playing, but Marcus, it reminds me a little bit of the Watson touchdown from that Kansas City game where it looks yeah. like the corner's getting beat, but in actuality, he's supposed to have help back yep. there. He's yep. got outside leverage. Receiver runs inside of him. So two pretty big coverage busts. That was my big my first takeaway. Tua played fine, did enough stuff. We'll get into a little bit of that. My second takeaway is the Dolphins have done a really good job 
of weaponizing the speed that they have and the pass catchers that they have. Boy, and they. It, all of the different ways, and I think that you brought up a couple of really good examples, them using – there was one play where it was a play-action play in the second half, and they cleared out one receiver, and Waddle came behind it. And just the amount of downhill speed they have, and him as the second guy through, and they got a chunk play out of that. The bubble play you talked about with Tyree Kill was another really good one. So many yak opportunities for these guys that are just built into the offense. And not to mention, Tyree Kill's making leaping catches over the middle right. in big plays in this game. Waddle's second touchdown was a play where he had to go up and make a play in traffic. Gasicki had an incredible leaping catch. Chuck Clark didn't even go for the ball. Because he thought yeah. the throw was so high that it was just going to sail out of the back of the end zone. Yeah. And that's what happens when you have a tight end who's, what, 6'4 and has a 40-something-inch vertical leap. Former volleyball player. insane yeah. play. Yes. Yeah. And so you have these guys that are just freak shows at receiver. Yeah. And that really showed up to it today on top of the fact that, like you mentioned, they're being put in advantageous spots with really unique twists and tweaks from this offensive coaching staff. Yeah, and – and it's it's such good stuff because well the the one other touchdown work yeah Kyle Hamilton got caught in no man's land they had an over route but that's the thing when you have so much heat coming at you the safety is like well he, Patrick Queen I think it was it might be Chuck Clark but someone on the over route got burned because it's Waddle and so Kyle Hampton's like well I got I got attached down I got to come down and help him I help think him it out. was Queen by the way I think yeah. he was trying to bail out and Man. catch him. Man, rough day. It happens. That's the NFL. There's a lot of good players. He had 13 so. pass rush snaps in week one. The more times he's coming after the quarterback and the fewer times he's moving backwards, the better for the Ravens. It really helps. But And this is where the speed comes in. And you mentioned a great a couple of other examples. The, there's another play that they ran, the, the Dolphins did, and it's called um, all-go running back seam. You see uh, the Chiefs ran a ton of, of this concept over the years uh, where they'd have Kareem Hunt going up the seam. Very popular play over the last few years. Kind of weaned off last year, but I've seen it a couple times this time. But it's so great on the play. And it's just basically all, you know, four verts, but with a little swing pass. It's the first play of the second half. There, if you watch the replay of it, it's all the all everyone's vertical and they have so much speed, the gravity of the world class speed that they have, there's no defenders on the screen. And so Tua just checks it down to the back and a little swing. It's basically like a, a screen. Like it just turns into a screenplay. So he just catch, uh, the running back catches a swing. It's an easy first down. Just little things like that. Like just putting these guys in good spots. And it, it's great. And even in the two minute drive to, to win the game, it was that uh, the second and short, about 45 seconds left. People are saying, oh, they're playing for the tie. No, they weren't. The Dolphins had a perfect play. They ran a zone play against a pressure look and caught the Ravens. It was a great call. You great have plenty call. of time in that situation. Two timeouts, second and one, 45 seconds left. That's It's a great call. And then on top I, of it, I, I, I want to give the exact McDaniels, same way. McDaniel some props there. Is, uh, 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 the running back gets tackled about 26, 28 seconds, give or take. And rather than rushing up and burn the timeout, like I've seen like Mike McCarthy do over the years a bunch of times and panic and run up, timeout, timeout, timeout. He goes, no, no, I'm going to let it. Uh, six seconds tick off, and then they call timeout. Twenty-two seconds left, so they knew that they could get four plays off, or pass, 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 and then kick a field goal. Twenty-two seconds gives you about that because each play takes about four to five seconds down there. Just little things like that, and yeah, Mike McDaniel, really, really nice game plan, and they took advantage of the bus, and that's what speed speed kills. And if you make a mistake, speed kills. The bus were huge reason for the big mm-hmm. plays. I thought the Tua did a really nice job in kind of compact and congested areas against zone defense in this game. The Ravens dropped eight or nine. They dropped nine on the Gesicki touchdown. They dropped eight or nine seven times in this game. 
Tua was seven of seven on those plays. Five of those six completions that he had came on second or third down. The next play, they got a first down. So it wasn't like they were gashing him on those plays, but he was consistently taking what was there, making it third and manageable, fourth and manageable. Two of them were the fourth and ones that the Dolphins eventually went for and got. Another was a second and 24 that they cut to a third and 10 and they got the third and 10. It was Jalen, excuse me, it was uh, Waddle working like a quick out against Jalen Armour Davis. And again, Jalen Armand Davis playing a ton of cushion because he's just terrified, terrified. of the speed. Terrified of the speed on third and ten. And you just see it in so many different ways. So that's where I thought Tua was really good in this game is that in moments where they were playing some soft zone in those situations, he did a great job of locating the ball into those spots. But he threw two bad picks. Yeah. You know, like he was fine. But I yeah. do think that if this is the overall formula where we have really terrifying pass catchers and a pretty good offensive coaching staff. Good luck. Yeah. That's a pretty good formula. That That's something I think you can consistently win with in the NFL. And I, I have s- still do so many question marks about the O-line and it, it's not – it's just holding. They have bus. Didn't matter. Two got the ball out. Like boom, boom. Every time he hit yeah. the back foot of his drop, that ball was out. And that speaks to the coaches not being idiots and going, oh, we're going to do a seven-step drop here. It's like, nope, they they were consistent. Five-step drops, three-step drops, quick game, RPO, a little bit of play action, screens. They just, you know, just peppering. They just peppered a little bit of everything. And yeah, and I mean, that's they, they stayed in that. I couldn't believe they came back. It looked like the Ravens were just blowing them out of the water after that long Lamar touchdown. And then it just. I thought it was it, over. It after that long Lamar too. touchdown, you think it's I over. Did too. And then you have a. Co- I mean, the coverage bus, obviously. I will say, the Dolphins' running game looked a lot better than I thought it was going to. Yeah. I thought they did a lot. I mean, everything was a mess last week. All of uh, the yeah. moving parts, it just seemed like complexity for complexity's sake. It looked terrible. Moser got a majority of the carries today, which I don't know yeah. if that's going to be the plan moving forward, but the running game did look better with him in there. Yeah. Let's talk about the Ravens, though, because yeah. as much as the Dolphins did a lot of really good things to win this game, I think that the Ravens definitely had their hiccups and shot themselves in the foot multiple times in the second half. What was the most frustrating part to you about the Ravens' approach down the stretch? Oh, man. Well, just the short yardage. that For a team that thrives on being bullies or, or tries, and they run a lot of power, and they run a lot of fullbacks and tight ends... Um, Luke Jones had a great tweet where the Ravens had 10 plays a day where they needed a one yard for a first down or a touchdown. They went three for 10 in those situations. You, you can't win that way. If you're a team in the that second thrives, half, if you take out that Lamar run, yeah, six carries for negative two yards for the Ravens. Yeah, it felt like that too. And actually, I, I was disappointed at first. And I was like, why is Greg Roman going empty? They actually had a good plan out of empty. They were going empty, and then the Dolphins were going, okay, here it comes. Here comes our cover zero looks. And they were motioning the tight end across and having yeah. a basically – and it was nice. Six-man protection. He was just standing in the block. Isaiah Likely almost every single time. Yeah. Yep, and I liked that. It was okay. You learned your lesson. Remember I said, did you do your homework? They did do their homework, but then maybe they just forgot you know, the math and the run game. So they did their chemistry homework, but maybe they forgot their math homework. So that that kind of like limited there. But there was also, you know, they had they threw hot to Rashad Bateman at one time, which I was I've never seen the Ravens really do that much. Where they hotter a side adjust is it was a side adjust. Which what a side adjust is is I'm going to stop my route because you're blitzing and we have to change it literally what the route is. So Rashad Bateman usually it's a slant or a hitch. Rashad Bateman runs a hitch. Lamar sees the corner uh, corner blitzing and he throws it out there and it's a nice first down. So. God, I was. It, it's so funny how they could score so many points, do so many good things, and it was still like, mm, you're just wanting a little bit more, just more consistency in this offense. It just feels some. Sometimes it just feels uneasy, especially in the run game, especially when it's not Lamar running the ball. 
Yeah, I mean, hopefully when the running backs get back healthy, yeah. Yeah, that's a little bit of a bump that they can get. They still have offensive line injuries that if that group gets back to 100%, what does it ultimately look yeah, like? Exactly. Lamar's explosiveness and just that quick strike ability totally on display today. Just a reminder of what that offense can be. You know, the fact that they can just bury you in a hurry on top of what he can do with his legs. Yeah. I think they'll be absolutely fine. Yep. I also think the defense is going to be okay. This is a new group of players, a yep. new defensive coordinator, and they're trying some wild shit. And I think that every once in a while, if you play like that, you're going to get burned. You're going to have those miscommunications, especially when they involve rookie defensive backs that are in situational roles the it's, way that Kyle Hamilton is right now. They're dealing with cornerback injuries. No. Myron Humphrey came into this game not 100%. Kyle Fuller tore his ACL last week. So I think they'll be absolutely fine. But I absolutely, I definitely left this game more encouraged about what the Dolphins offense is going to look like over the course of the year, just by the sheer amount of talent that they have at their pass catching spots. They're, they're putting Kyle Hamilton on uh, Hamilton on the field for a reason, not just because he's a first round pick, but they're asking a lot out of him. And, and I think it's, that's what happens with a, it's a second game in the NFL. Do you think he's ran from the line of scrimmage to, to, to the deep half at Notre Dame? No, I, 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 maybe he did, but I don't remember him doing that. Everything was top down for him. So it's just a, it's a whole new world for him. And then they have a rookie center, you know, going against all these cover zero looks and Winterbomb did okay. They had the botch snap on the QB sneak where Lamar came up. I think that was more of a Lamar issue, just how the fumble went as well and how the ball hit his hands. But it's big of you as a quarterback to say that. I, I've had burn in my brain for my dad. He, he could tell. He he said you could tell whose fault it was based on how the ball falls and how the ball <laughs> kind of just went dead. That's the quarterback. If it went flying in between the legs, then that's the center because that means usually it's a shotgun snap where they don't get the ball to the to the pressure of the quarterback. So yeah, that you're right though. That that was big of me. I, I'm gonna I'm gonna make sure to praise every quarterback from here on out. I was talking to a defensive coordinator this summer. We were talking about how you incorporate a younger safety into three safety packages. Where do you want him to play? How much do you want your his vision to include? Yep. And he was saying, we want our guy to play a little bit closer to the line of scrimmage just because it limits how much he has Sticks. to do and the scope of what he's looking at. And the yep. fact that in those three safety looks or when they're in dime and Chuck Clark is playing linebacker, mm -hmm. Kyle, safe, Kyle Hamilton's the back. Yep. I mean, this is a 6'4", 220-pound safety who has not had to play in this exact role before. So they're asking a lot of him. I think this group will be better as the season goes yep. on. This is Marks Peters' first game back. But again, really impressive win for the Dolphins, really impressive yep. comeback for the Dolphins. I want to give some credit to the Dolphins' run defense as well in yes. some of those moments. I think that they have some players up front, you know, Christian Wilkins. I want to go back and watch the end zone tape to actually see who I, deserves I credit too. and blame on some of those moments. But I think you have to just say – they did well to slow the Ravens down in those situations. Yep. One more thing here I want to get to at the top of the show. Obviously, the Trey Lance news. Broken ankle. He's out for the season. The initial just deflation of that, where you have all this excitement about what he's going to look like and what this offense could be and this next step that the Niners are taking. But then you kind of take a step back, take a breath, and this is why they kept Jimmy. Right. It, it because if something catastrophic happens, now your season isn't over. Yep. It's almost we're stepping into a known quantity version right. of the Niners. It's it's a very strange thing to watch in real time where you watch a team's backup quarterback come in and you actually have a better understanding of what they're going to be when the backup quarterback comes in. And yeah. that's what it was today. It's like, well, the Niners are going to be good this year. If all of the other factors stay consistent with Jimmy Garoppolo stepping into this, if their defense plays the way that we think they can, 
Brandon Ayuk is a bigger part of this passing game than he was for most of last season. George Kittle is going to be back. You know, their running game looked really good today. And it's a strange sensation. It's like, well, they're probably going to be fine, even though they just lost their starting quarterback for the entire season. It's not like the backup. It's like we're an Andy Dalton situation for like, you know, like the Bears last year where it's like, oh, like, oh, I've, I've seen this guy play before somewhere else. It's like, no, literally, this was the starting quarterback last year. <laughs> and, he was, and now he's just back. I, I, my first note is, well, we know what Jimmy G is. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, what are the notes? I, I want to say that the Lance injury was a freak thing. And anyone saying like, oh, this is on Kyle Shannon. That's like, it's such bullshit. What is it that? G- oh, where does that even come it was, from? It, it was a GT counter. Could it be? It was a GT counter read. Like the Ravens run it with Lamar. Lamar weighs 200 pounds dripping wet. Uh, uh, Trey Lance is 230. Like uh, Josh Allen runs these all the time. Josh Allen's an even bigger freak, but it's a not, it was if just a freak play. If you're not going to run Trey Lance, what yeah. is the benefit of Did having you, him be your quarterback? Dude, they ran like an empty uh, power play with him earlier. And I was like, oh yeah, here we go. We got like a kind of a normalish weather. We get to see this offense unfold and then unfortunately it gets hurt. But I mean, that's the thing with the 49ers with this defense is incredible. This is a championship caliber defense. I have three takeaways. Seahawks only had like 200 yards of offense. They only had 14 first downs. Like they kicked their ass and they're going to yeah. kick a lot of offense's ass because their front so good. And then they got, they, they got Fred Warner. Actually, all their linebackers are great. Well, and uh, Greenlaw got an extension today, deservedly so. They're banshees, man. Every banshees, single guy that's the best on the side of the ball is a banshee. And Hufanga now, who we're going to talk about a little bit later. Yeah, that they're pulling these guys. Out I didn't want to spoil it. I didn't want to spoil about Hufanga because that. I mean, he's conjuring banshees on defense. Like that's what this team does. It's yep. absolutely ridiculous. But there are little elements like Jimmy was pushing the ball a little bit more. Yeah, than he might have in sale previous routes. years. Yeah, and you, now those throw deep throws outside the numbers. They're not always pretty, no. but the fact that he's willing to uncork some of those, they're probably going to be fine. Yeah. I don't yeah. want to get too hot takey with this, but I do when, – when I was thinking about this today, it was impossible to get this thought out of my mind. What if they're good? Right. And what if he's good? What do you do? <laughs> For the future. <laughs> but the, seriously. Seriously with if, all those If you groups. go through this entire season, okay, oh. and they're a playoff team again, and they win 11 games, oh. and they make another deep playoff run, can you really move on? It's, I mean, it becomes really, really hard if you get two years of him <sighs> doing it in a row with Lance on the roster. I'm not even trying to like stir up no. shit. It just, but you're right. I'm just you're trying right. to put myself in that situation. If I'm John Lynch and Kyle Shanahan, it's like to the locker room, all of these different factors. I was team trade Jimmy. Get him yeah, out of here. Same. Like, this is Lance's show. It yep. should be Lance's show. But Clean if break. you do it again. I know. I know. I mean, you could see how it becomes really hard. They, you could see how hard it was for him this year. <laughs> then yeah. it actually ended up working out. So imagine, like you say, imagine if they win 10. NFC's wide open. It's a wide open Who's, conference. Somebody asked us this on Twitter today. Fantastic question. Who is the best team in the NFC? Uh, I don't know. I don't know. Bucks, maybe. But I don't know that it, the Bucks tough. The, the Bucks had a nineteen point seven percent success rate running the ball today. Dude, they, like dude. their offense is not good right now. They have no offensive linemen. Something named Walton is out there playing left tackle because Josh Wells got hurt. It, it's the Scotty Miller game. We had a Scotty Miller game. It had too. to be. <laughs> it was Mike Evans playing against Marshawn Lattimore. It had to be the Scotty Miller and Brashad Perryman game. Yeah. Did you see the it, uh, the Mike Evans thing where where they they lip the little lip reading? And he goes, no, it's, it's it was after the fight happens. 
And he goes, "Well, yeah, I saw the fight, obviously." So the fight happens, and they slow they show slow mo, and you can see the lip reading. And he goes, "It's Tom Brady. What do you want me to do?" And Mike Evans said that. Swear to God, because was, it, because it was Brady that got in the fight, he had to come off the sideline. Yeah, I love that. I, know. I love that. I did too. I, I did too. I fully I support that, that. I did too. All right, it's Tom Brady. What do you want me to do? I'm sure we're gonna have a lot more time, space to think about and examine the Jimmy G Trey Lance situation and what's gonna happen with the Niners. For now, we're going to talk about a couple more teams that had us leaving today saying, yeah, but really? Yeah, but that true code. I didn't want any true code. Yeah, but this true code. <laughs> I always kind of get with the What drops. is that? What, I, 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 it's, sure. it's from a movie. I can't remember exactly what it's from. I try to remember too. We got. We have to make sure that we know what they are, so we're just not hitting, sitting here. St- oh, it's from Fargo. Fargo. That's right. But thank you, Bauer. Oh, that's, right. That, that's, right. that's, that's right. That's right. That's right. That's right. I should also know better. We just turned in um, our Midwest credentials right there. I know. There. Jesus, I, that's that's an embarrassing <laughs> moment. It's it's eleven fifteen where I am right yeah. now. It's been a very long day. You got to give me a pass on that. Two offenses, two teams that won today. But it's like, yeah, but did you really? Like, do you really, did you really win today? Like, what really happened and what really does this say about you? And I want to start with the Broncos offense. Mm. How are you feeling about Russell Wilson and the Broncos offense after that game? Well, we did our AFC West preview and I started really looking at it. I'm looking at the coaching staff and I'm hearing the quotes and some alarm bells started going off and those are ringing louder and louder and louder. This team, not surprising, leads the league in false starts. Leads the league in delay of games. They have 25 penalties through two games. <laughs> they are they have all the signs of a bad, in, incompetent offense. They barely get the playoff. The receivers are breaking the huddle and going the wrong way. And you can tell they have to flip them. That's why that takes a longer time. Third down is rough. Uh, I also just that they're trying to square peg round hole sometimes when the best part of their game game today was running the ball. And then they would still just go pass, pass, pass for, for sequences. And it just didn't make sense. So I'm... I'm worried. <laughs> I'm a little worried. This is, I knew it would be a slow start for him, but this is even slower than I was expecting. It was 14 of 31 today against the Texans defense. It was rough. Their, their whole offense was good. go balls to Sutton. That was their offense. It was, and pass interference penalties yeah. on those go balls to it's Sutton. The Flacco. It was the Flacco offense. I mean, that's. They look completely what... out of sorts. They had 13 penalties for 100 yards again. And that was with a holding call. That Levy Smith decided to wave off. Yeah. Instead of giving them a third and long, gives them a fourth and two, which is not an unachievable goal in the NFL in 2022, like giving a team a fourth and two from essentially midfield, which yeah. they absolutely got in a pretty key moment in the game. Mm-hmm. That sequence, where, so the entire sequence, right? The third and one into the delay of game starts with an option handoff to the fullback who I believe the designer of the play allows him to pitch it if he wants to, which Mm -hmm. that's adorable. And then after that happens, it's fourth and short. They send their field goal team on the field late, take a delay of game as a result of that, and then are forced to punt the football. Yep. Yep. You can name your stupefying sequence from this team and game management, penalties, whatever you want to do. You have 10, 15 to choose from for the first two weeks of the season. It's, Does this stuff get better? Or do you think that this can be symptomatic of something bigger? I think it's symptomatic because it just 
the stuff that should be easy isn't easy for him. Like the fact that receivers are going the wrong way in a huddle, not just more, not just once or twice. Like I think the running up to the clock will get cleaner probably because that's a communication thing, getting the play call in and all that. But the fact that they didn't learn the lesson from last week, that the, the fact that they didn't burn a bang a timeout when they sent the field goal unit out there with 15 seconds left on the play clock. And then the field goal team's just like taking their time. Like there's just no urgency. So that means there's just no communication happening, which is, and this is a first time head coach that thinks he wants to call plays and he probably wants to call plays because he looks around his staff and goes, I got a lot of greenhorns on this staff and like who else, like Clint Kubiak, maybe like, but that's, I mean, they, I think he's putting a lot on himself and they're just kind of show they're not ready for it. It's also interesting that Hackett thought, okay, he trusts his kicker to kick a 60 something yard field goal in Seattle with the game on the line. No one has made a field goal longer than 57 yards in Seattle at Lumen field. Okay. And then they're in Denver on a, and this would be a 58 yarder. And he's like, mm, no, we're punting it. We're punting it. As uh, the Texans aren't even moving the ball on you. Just a lot of just bonkers clock and game management. So they got, they have to clean it up. I, I mean, they got to make it to the bye week and just hopefully they don't take in too much water. And then hopefully they can clean it up during the bye week. This is something that's a consistent theme. And often it's not as drastic as this, but we've seen it with young play calling head coaches that step into the role for the first time. It's mostly that at the core, their their philosophy is bad. They're not going for it on fourth down when they should. They usually opt for pretty conservative decision making, Mm -hmm. which as offensive coaches is always really interesting. But we've seen that happen a lot. You know, McVeigh's had his moments with this. Kyle Shanahan's had his moments with this. And then it leads me to a drastically different situation here. Brian Dable is consistently making the right decisions in these moments. He's not calling plays. Right. And I don't I think Doug Peterson is calling offensive plays for the Jags. Do you know it, I, I, I think, think he, he is. is. He is. So and then, that's uh, that. uh, uh what's his name? The offensive coordinator has a lot of input though. Uh um, Press Taylor. Press, press Taylor. So like I, yeah. I I wonder I wonder how much uh, like in the moment, whether Press Taylor is actually relaying the plays to the quarterback and mm-hmm. what that operation looks like. I should learn more about that. But I think that we, we're going to talk about it a little bit later. Doug, again, consistently just being like, all right, we're going forward on fourth down. And no this, it's not even necessarily a are you calling plays thing, but what is your sequence? Yep. What is your operation? Who's in yep. your ear in the booth? How many guys do you have? You know, we, and every single broadcast for like three years, we heard about all the guys in Philly who are helping Doug make that decision. And you yeah. hone that over time. Yeah. So I just think that's something when you're a first-time head coach, you've never done this before, you're calling plays for the first time. There's a lot of stuff that can be rattling around on your head, but it absolutely needs to be cleaned up in Denver. We, I know we come at memes sometimes of ourselves talking about what Kyle Shanahan's offenses, but a really good sign of good offenses is how early they break the huddle because that means they get the play call in and the personnel. People don't realize how much communication even goes into like a first time play caller, just any play caller. You have to communicate your personnel. And then, so that means you have to have a plan. So, okay, it's second and 10. If we get eight yards here, I got this play. If we get a first down, I got that play. If it's third and 10, we got this play. If I take a sack, yada, yada. But then you can't just think that and then call the next play. What if we have 21 in there? We have a fullback in there. We want to get 11 out there. Okay, I got to make sure I get 11. What if it's a certain kind of 11? Like, what if we have a different term for it? Like, then you have to relay that. Or you have to give a guy a heads up like, hey, make sure John's not in this game. Or make sure, you know, Robert's in a, a running back here because of protection stuff. All that has to be communicated on time. Then you have to tell if you're not the guy giving the heads of the call to the quarterback. That's another misconception is that only one, there's only one live line going to the quarterback and yep. not every, not every play caller 
has that line. They might have their quarterback coach or somebody else. This is why I think a lot of times people think, oh, Eric Bieniemy is calling these plays because they see him giving the play call. He's not. Andy Reid's giving the play and the Bieniemy is relaying to Mahomes. So that is the process there. And if you ever watch a Shanahan offense, they never take delay games. It's actually pretty fascinating how, how with all the motions and shifts and moving parts that because he has a lot of reps. That's what happens when you start calling plays at like 28 years old. Like that really, really helps because he's got a lot of reps at it. But that's a whole process. And Hackett's called plays before, but he's never been a head coach before. And yeah. so, I, and you could just see it's it, been a few it's, years since he's called plays. I mean, yeah. I know he, he has a lot of experience doing it in Jacksonville, in college, in Buffalo, but it's been a few years and it is a whole different challenge when yeah. you have to control everything that happens, including setting up the operation for how you decide to go for it on fourth yep. down. The amount of shit on your plate when you are a head coach, planning, organizing, figuring out how all of this stuff works. That's why there's no way to ever know who's going to be good at it and yep. who's not because those are the things you can't account for until you actually see it start to happen. And yep. with the Broncos, the early returns have been pretty poor. Speaking yep. of questionable coaching, the other team we wanted to talk about here who had a yeah, but win – was the Arizona Cardinals. I, I loved it. the idea that Cliff Kingsbury had any sort of hand in them winning this game as part of the narrative afterwards is absolutely hilarious to me. It, can you remember a more insane sequence of plays from one individual player that required like 25 other things happening for a team to win a game than what happened just, with Kyler Murray this afternoon? It was the most ridiculous domino effect. Like just play after play. It, it's it, it literally, it's the Kyler go do something offense. And it's, this is, it's not year it was three the of this. It's the purest distillation yes. of it. Oh. If you just, you yes. boiled it all the way down and injected it into your eyeballs, yep. that was this version of the Kyler do something offense. It was. I mean, the two point play where he ran around for 80 yards and held the ball for over 20 seconds is, it's literally, if you just had to watch one play, what the Cardinals are, that there it is right there. They ran mesh. Of course they ran mesh. It's Cliff. They, they ran mesh on a two-point play. Want to know why you never see that? It's because it has no room to breathe. Mesh has to have some vertical spacing as well. Usually there's a route behind it. They, they He panicked and he called mesh. I could tell. I know exactly what happened. He's like, uh, we need to uh, shoot. We'll just go this play. Of course, no one gets open because there's no spacing on the play. So it's not a good play. No vertical stretch. Cower, go do something funny. He does. And then the next two-point play, the Raiders take a timeout to see what formation they're in and they get a delay a game. The Cardinals get a delay game coming out of a timeout. Right. It's, like, right. it's like just just those two plays. It's like we can't give this guy any credit. I'm, I'm tired of it. I, I, it's, uh, we're already <laughs> – I'm done talking about the Cardinals. I mean, it's just, just this play. It's just it's ridiculous. They run the same four plays and they get a delay game. I, I, I just can't get over that we're still here and they got an extension this offseason on top of it. They had 192 total net yards. They had – or excuse me. They had 192. They had 106 in the third quarter. Okay, they had 12 first downs in the first three quarters. They had seven in the third quarter. It, it, Kyler in the first half was six of nine for 53 yards, and they ended up winning this game. Sure, that's... I I want to I'm going to go back and investigate this like a crime scene later yeah. on, like how the Cardinals actually came back to win this game. I didn't have a chance to go back and rewatch it, but I did watch the final fourth. I watched most of the fourth quarter, the final few sequences with Card with Kyler doing all of that stuff, and just absolutely ridiculous. Yeah. So we'll have plenty more time to think about whether the Cardinals are slowly devolving into the team with the bottom falling out because that's kind of what it felt like for three quarters today. And then Kyler may have saved their season with like a string of five or six ridiculous plays. Insane place. I mean, even the touchdown to Hollywood Brown or the long play, like 
He needled. It was an like, incredible throw. He, he put it in his shoebox. To a guy that's 5'8", he went through two guys on the throw. It's like, well, I guess it's a straight line from Kyler to Hollywood Brown. That's a, you know, it's a straight line how short they are. But it, it got it got through. It's And then he just runs around and creates those other plays. I mean, every short yardage play, they have him run little bootlegs. It's so predictable at this point in time. They run the same freaking bootleg plays all the time. And then, okay, the defense is still sitting there waiting, knowing it's going to happen. He's making a miss, making a miss, creates and gets another first down. It's like, yeah, good play call. Like, good scheme. Go, 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 right. go, Kyler. <laughs> <laughs> we're going to take a quick break. When we get back, we're going to talk about who grabbed our attention. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. For their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms and sell more with less effort. Thanks to Shopify magic. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U S and Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's and Brooklinen and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com maze, all lowercase Go to shopify.com slash maze now to grow your business, no matter which stage you're in. Shopify.com slash maze. Gentlemen, you have my curiosity, but now you have my attention. All right, let's start with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers defense. Gave up 10 points today. Three interceptions from Jameis Winston, six sacks. Six a sacks. game where they really, again, carried this team the same way they did in week one bucks defense you have my attention <laughs> you do it's it's a reminder how fun this defense is and how fast and physical they are and flying around just fun not only just fun pressures and i i not i i just don't want to think of just as todd Bowles as just like oh all he does is just heat up the quarterback but just they've nice cranked little- it down a little bit over the first couple they weeks have. actually have they have. It was just coverage stuff, but everyone's sound. Everyone plays so physical. Carlton Davis at corner, like, epitomizes this whole defense, and he's the corner. Yeah. Like, just how Antoine Winfield, the DBs, like, play physical. It's, it's, but they're athletic. They're not just a bunch of stiffs out there, hammerheads out there, but little just design stuff. Like, well, they, no one runs more interesting D line games as far as twists and stunts and all that than the Bucks. 
And, they, and I think the Cowboys are going to start to give you a run for your oh, money yeah. here pretty soon. Uh, yeah, actually, yeah, I, that's I tend right. to agree with you, and that's why it's so cool watching them approach this without blitzing yep. as much as they would have in the past. The numbers I'm looking yep. at right now, again, we get these right after the game: twenty six point seven percent or twenty six point nine percent blitz rate over the first two games. That's down from where they would have been. Yeah, a they're year usually ago. low thirties, right? Usually low to mid thirties because they're usually yeah. near the top of the league. So about a quarter of their snaps, which is not as much as we usually see from them, mm-hmm. but it's all the pressure looks. And the fact yeah. that they're all the games, you don't know which four guys are coming, yeah. and the amount of different stuff they do on the back end. I mean, they play tons of different coverages and all of these funky different ways. So when you have these guys playing fast, when you make it hard on the offense consistently because you have no idea what's coming at you, whether it's the guys that are coming at the quarterback, what they're playing on the back end, that's what you see here. Good players, good scheme, good results. It's fun. I, 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 the best way I can describe it is it's the velocity after testing the cage. Like they may not always be bringing, they're not always bringing it, they're always bringing it, but they're making the offensive line communicate every snap. And the Saints, even with Doug Marone as offensive line coach, they still have good players that can communicate pretty well. And, and you could see them. It's hard to pass stuff off. Offensive line have to go, you know, pass, you know, game like they have to communicate what's going on very quickly it's a big feel thing so you just keep poking keep prodding keep poking keep prodding and then they'll do stuff like they'll have Shaq Barrett as the long looper and I think like a long looper is it's it's kind of cool it's like a delayed stunt and what happens is it's fool's gold for quarterbacks because they feel the edge washed down so they're like oh contain contains busted i can loop out right here and i can run and you know extend the play and as soon as they start doing it and james got suckered into this a couple times here comes Shaq barrett or white looping around the edge and it's like oh shit (laughs) and that's it's fool's gold and they do a great job of it so even like you said even when they're not pressuring they kind of create that chaotic looks where the offensive line still has to communicate just like if they were pressuring Devin White had a sack today. Anton Winfield had a sack today. Levante David had a sack today. I would love to look up the numbers eventually. Like when they are pressuring, what sort of success are they having? When they're bringing five, what does it look like? Because yeah. it feels like every single time they're bringing extra bodies, it's doing a lot of damage. They right now lead the NFL in defensive EPA per dropback. They are number one through the first two games, which is not surprising at all. And I, I want to talk about this a little bit from the Saints' point of view because – Jameis Winston did not have a good game. Jameis Winston also has four fractures in his back, we yeah. found out before the season. I don't want to try to parse how much of this performance is Jameis Winston being hurt. I do want to talk about what a diminished Jameis Winston for any reason means for the Saints. Because every single argument this offseason for why the Saints all in moves and why this philosophy and why this mindset in the offseason might have worked out for them always included Jameis might be healthy for the whole season look at his numbers from last year in a small sample if he's around for 17 games what could this mean for them even if he's playing hurt and that's what's causing this it still pulls that Jenga block out from whatever tower you're trying to build for the Saints and I think that's a pretty big concern right it's that that's exactly it that's why I kind of started talking myself into the Saints a little bit is just because of that, it was, oh, at least Jameis can do some stuff. You know, he, especially on play action, he's so good off play action. And you can see right now, okay, they couldn't really get it. They couldn't really hit those chunks that they need, especially with Kamara out. Kamara is really, he's great for the easy button, especially choice routes, running the ball. He just kind of helps out, helps out everybody. Obviously, he's a great player. But 
you see that? So more is on James's plate as he's banged up and it's, it's week two and he's already banged up again. And it's, ugh, yeah. that's scary. That's really scary. Cause like you said, they had those all in moves and oof, if that's what the offensive performance is, it's a little, little dicey. Next one here, Detroit lions offense. You have my attention. The, we it. talked about this on the preview show. The lions are a sneaky fun offense and they yeah. proved us right today. Also, we can get into how incompetent Washington's defense might be at this stage of things. But I do think that the Lions offense is consistently doing a lot of really smart, sound stuff that is putting their players in really good spots. We can dig into some of it, but just the more general feeling I have watching this Lions team is this is fun. This is really fun. This group of players is really fun. And this game happened today and this performance happened with their offensive line banged up. And you wouldn't have even noticed if you watched this game that they were missing multiple starters along their offensive line. They had Dan Skipper from, I think, Arkansas. I wanted to point out Dan Skipper because he had a couple really nice moments. That block he had on that long, swift run, he was burying somebody like 15 yards downfield. Exactly. He was like 15 and Skipper's like 6'9", and he's like moving. And he's huge, huge, guys. Yes, huge dude. Yeah, it's no, this offense, and this is what we talked about with with Deontay, is just I mean, they're they're a run game so fun because they run everything under the sun, and they do it really well, and it's sound. It's not just running shit to run shit. They actually have good stuff that's like well coached. They do a little bit of window dressing, like they they went six uh, six offensive linemen a few times, and they're putting the extra offensive linemen in motion. They did a yo yo motion with him. Yeah, yo yo is a back and forth motion, and and they're doing that with him, and then they ran a play action off of it. So it's just uh, nothing like it, it sounds like. Oh, okay, what's a big deal? Six. It's not a lot of teams would do that. Not a lot of teams are going to be doing a six offensive alignment and putting them on a yo-yo motion. And they're running play action, not just do a simple run play. They're running jet sweeps, trap, counter power, just everything under the sun. Um, they got Penny Sewell. They, they ran like a little uh, swing screen, like a one-man swing screen with Penny Sewell out in space. Like the Saints used to spam that for years and years and years under Sean Payton. And and so with Drew Brees, too, it's just it's a, it's a good offense. And then you got Amon Ross St. Brown. Dicing up defenses without he has yet to be targeted past twenty yards this entire season, and and he's just doing damage. He, he's it's he's like a six man low post. He's Zach Randolph. Uh, uh, <laughs> he's Zebo. Like that's what he is. Uh, like playing 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 football right now. He's awesome. Like he has the lowest a dot. So he's twenty first and first downs around. That's the stat I like to look at. He has the lowest a dot of anybody in the top twenty one. Like he he's just. But it works, and they put them on a jet sweeps and stuff. It's awesome. It's a, it's a fun. It was offense. an easy jet sweep. It was just I was wondering if they did anything crazy with that. It's just nope. a simple jet sweep. Every once in a while, if you hand the ball off to that guy and give yep. credence to that guy going in motion, that's all you need to do. And sometimes you hit it for a big one. Yep. I was so impressed by their offensive line today. Evan Brown, their backup center, was in on that play we talked about with Dan Skipper. Brown did a great job controlling controlling Deron Payne, who's just yep. pretty much alone that's on the nose. Player. One of my favorite things watching this offense, and this was watching their offensive line almost at full strength last week, how effective they are at getting guys to the second level on run Mm -hmm. plays. And the fact that they were doing it as well as they were today with a bunch of backups in there. Hank Fraley, their offensive line coach, deserves a ton of credit for the way that this group played today against a Washington front that even without Chase Young has some dudes on it. You talked about Amon Ross St. Brown. I wanted to point out one play that I think really speaks to, there are a few of them, but one that really jumped out to me about little things that the Lions are doing that I just find really, really smart. On that big 
play he, on that big completion he had on the over route was third and three. The one where the camera got completely lost because oh, they I had know. no idea where the guys were moving. It they the way that they lined up, Brown and Reynolds just had a little switch release off the line of scrimmage. And the communication that forced and didn't happen from Washington is that William Jackson followed Reynolds outside, even though he was the slot corner was supposed to stay on him. And Brown ran wide open all the way across the field. Just little tiny stuff. Just like, all right, it's third and three, little bunch, little switch release, make them communicate. They didn't, huge gain. Yep. There was one play, I can't remember exactly what the result of the play was, but I really liked it. It was first and 10 at the end of the first quarter. And it was uh, Goff hitting Reynolds on the deep out off play action. Yeah. And St. Brown was close to the formation. And they had Hawkinson come across to seal the backside off play action. But before St. Brown went out into his route, he just nudged the end a little bit. Yeah. He just nudged him like a tiny bit to give Hawkinson time to get over there and seal the backside for Goff to hit that. It's a small thing. It's such a small thing, but it's just such good attention to detail. It's like, yes. let's give the tight end one more beat to get over there because we think that'll help us protect this. And consistently, you're seeing that kind of stuff out of the way that the Lions offense is yep. built. And it's really impressive. No, attention to detail is such – that's the exact way to put it because the fact that they have backup offense alignment and what you're saying, getting to the second level, that takes communication and practice reps and or just mental reps that they probably have had. That's that's it right there. That That is speaking to that. Just details, details, de- details. And they have a lot of guys. Their personnel – has a lot of hardworking guys. Like they, like even the receiver room, they want to do the right thing. They ask these guys to block, and these guys aren't just like taking a charge out there and or being a speed bump. They're no, they're, I want to bury my, I want to bury these guys, and that's cool. That it's infectious. And this whole team, we see in Hard Knocks, you see the Dan Campbell quotes. It's a very infectious team. You can feel them having fun with it. You can feel that they're like, oh, I like what we're doing. They, I think they really trust their coaches, and I would too. If this was my coaching staff and what they're designing for us, it's good stuff. It, it, like props to those co- that coaching staff and props to the Lions players. It's funny because I remember I talked with Mike McDaniel about this before the Super Bowl a few years ago, and we were talking about Kyle Shanahan. And Mike McDaniel said to me, he "said All of our coaches, including Kyle, we didn't play in the NFL, so we have to prove ourselves yeah. to the players all the time, every single day." I have to come to work and I have to show the guys in this building how I'm going to make their lives easier, how I'm going to give them solutions to problems. And the funny part is all the guys on this Lions coaching staff played in the NFL except their offensive coordinator. (laughs) He's like one of the only coaches on this team who didn't. And I'm – Obviously, this is a group effort and some of yeah. those little things with, all right, well, what are the details and how do we do this? But I think their offensive coordinator and the guy pulling some of these levers, Ben Johnson, has consistently shown the guys on this team that he's going to make the game easier for them. He's going to give them solutions to problems and he's going to put them in positions to succeed. This is going to be a group I tune into like every single yep. week. I, and I just I thought that might be the case you know, yeah. watching them near the end of last season and some of the things that they were doing when Johnson took over. But they've just hammered that point home over the first two weeks of this season. I feel like the little jerk route to Josh Reynolds out of empty, you know, for the touchdown, just like little tiny things over and over over the course of this game. It's just like, all right, like, <laughs> I guess this is just how it's going to yeah. go. DeAndre Swift is just like an explosion oh my God. waiting to happen every single time he touches the ball. I want to say, I saw some people shitting on Jared Goff 
for that the catch that DeAndre Swift made that ultimately turned into a touchdown on that third and fifteen with the blitz. Yeah, Even getting up. that throw off it was great. Is all that you ask for from the quarterback. I know yeah. it wasn't pretty, but that's not a mistake by him. The fact that he got that ball to the running back, come hell or high water, yeah. you deserve credit for that. So yeah. DeAndre Swift making an entire team miss after falling down is a whole other conversation, which brings me to what is Washington's defense? Like, how much longer is this acceptable? It, 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 the back end is just so bad. The, the, like, I love the front. And if you watched them last week, they're dominating Jonathan Allen, Payne that you mentioned. But the back end, <laughs> the, the, they like can't pass off anything. They lack communication. There, there's bus every play. There was a, I saw one where, uh, 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 the linebacker for the Washington and a blanket on his name, but he just ran completely in the wrong direction. And because he thought that he had a guy in man coverage and the Lions ended up with two guys wide open because he ran to his own teammate. And it's like, Oh God. Like, so it's just, they look like they're just like panicking on every single snap. It's, it's, it's disappointing because it's, they feel like they have some decent pieces and it's just, it's a very disappointing defense to watch. Last one here, Jacksonville Jaguars offense. You have my attention. We're going to get to the Colts later, by the way. But we did want to. <laughs> We're not done I with you. Wanna, I didn't want to solely frame this game and this outcome right. as a shit job by the Colts because I think both of us were very impressed by some of the stuff that the Jags did on offense today. It was awesome. I mean, right off the bat, first drive, 15 plays, 68 yards, took over nine minutes off the game clock, ended with a Christian Kirk touchdown that I will be talking about. In my segment on YouTube, wind the clock. So uh, be on the lookout for that tomorrow. But uh, should, I, should I give a sneak preview for it right Let, now? Let's dig into it. Let's okay. let's dig into the play. Why did you like it? it? If if you've played Madden, you might have you probably have run this play. It's running back angle or Texas, and it, what? But it was running back angle with Christian Kirk in the backfield. Mm-hmm. And what they did is they started in a bunch of formation in in the red zone. Uh, a lot of teams will play quarters or, or a version of too high where. You kind of know what they're getting because they're just saying we're going to flood it with bodies. We're going to, it's basically like running a two-three zone in basketball. We're flooding it with bodies. That's why the quarterback has to get the ball out and, and creativity in the passing game helps out. Yada yada yada. But on this play, uh, a running back angle, Texas, whatever you want to call it, they automatically got a zone check out of the Colts, not just cover three, but quarters because they started in a bunch, then motion with a condensed split, motion Kirk back into the backfield, and on this quarters defense or I'm sorry, on this play on Texas, they had a crosser, Evan Ingram, going across. So the linebacker gets occupied because that's his guy. I got first crossing. He's crossing my face. The outside corner that had moved in with the motion when Christian Kirk goes into the backfield, he's catching. It's Kenny Moore, I believe. Yep. He's he's catching. So he's catching because, okay, we can't let him get outside. It's a condensed split. They're probably going to attack outside. And on top of it, they had the receiver. I want to say it was Zay Jones running a corner. So everything about this looked like a smash concept, a high-low concept. But then Christian Kirk doesn't run a flat route. He breaks it back inside, and there's just this huge voided space. And it's it's a great, it's a classic red zone design. But Doug Peterson did a nice little, you know, little sugar on it by having, oh, let's have our best receiver. Christian Kirk looks like a monster from the slot, which he has been in his career. It, so, but now we have him coming from the backfield. Fun design, third down. You're guaranteeing the coverage. So it was good game planning by them because they knew what they're going to get if they showed this formation. Just good stuff. And they also had answers. It it, it wasn't like they just – sometimes um, play callers would design a play and it's like, this is ball is going to this guy. And they don't have an oh shit answer. And you can see when that happens. There's a lot, there's quite a few offenses like this. But they have answers. That those, that corner route I described was A. Jones. That's a hot answer because he's an outbreaker. I could just throw it up. 
I can I can progress to that if the angle rat doesn't come open. The crosser is a hot answer. So, but it's, it's just good sound design. It's creative how they did it. And it was awesome. It, it was a really good play. And Doug Peterson was in his bag today. He had some really fun stuff. And they've, I think they're figuring out who, what their personnel are. It, it, it's pretty cool. And then they have this guy named Trevor Lawrence that looked great today, too. I think I might be ready to eat some crow on the Christian Kirk stuff. I, I like Christian Kirk. It's just they paid him a lot. That 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 was well, it. Well, if they're going to build their entire passing game around him, right. then it becomes a little bit more justifiable. Right. And that's exactly what's happened. Yeah. And they're drawing stuff up for him left and right. They're using him in the slot the way that we wanted him choice them routes, to. Choice and we we're a little routes, bit concerned routes. about that. Yeah. I want to go back and look at the actual personnel. I Evan Ingram is really frustrating. He yeah. wears 17 and he's built like a receiver. Yep. So I can never tell. From the TV copy, whether it's yep. him or Marvin Jones, and it drives me absolutely crazy. But it does seem like on a decent number of these plays, if they're in 12, they're totally fine with Evan Ingram being the number one receiver on the outside and just playing Christian Kirk in the slot. Yep. So they found ways to consistently put him at the positions that we want them to. And they're drawing up all this stuff for him. He's the little slice route on slides and yep. like just so many different ways to get him the ball in really good spots. And they've done it for the last two games. So yep. if they're going to build their entire passing game around him and put him in only positions yep. where we like his skill set, then it becomes a little bit more justifiable. Well, it, Evan Ingram has shaky hands, but there, if there's one thing he can do is he can run and he can run with the best of them. So let's just have him run a bunch of crossers. Let's just yeah. go. Just go. Just go. It, it's a He's lot a receiver. Of just have let him play yeah. a receiver. Just go. He's a, he, he can roll. And so that, that puts a lot of heat on defenders. And their bootleg game's really fun. Like they run a, a, every bootleg under the sun. So they, you know, helps out the offensive line. Trevor's so good throwing on the, on the move. So that makes sense. Trevor, by the way, is fourth in EPA per dropback for QBs through two games. He's just above a guy named Justin Herbert. So uh, he was Trevor. 25 of 30 today. And that includes a up. bad Marvin Jones drop. Yeah. A bad one. Okay. There was a ball. They, I just, it, this is like, it didn't work. But this is exactly what you want, right? You're playing against the Colts. You know what they're going to be in for the most part, right? It's going to be <laughs> right. cover three. We know exactly yeah. what it is, okay? We're in shot territory on like the 41, 42 yard line. We're putting Jamal Agnew at the number three spot, and we are taking a shot to him. We're going to make the linebacker run with him because we know that we have an advantage solely because of who we're playing against as a defensive coordinator. And they're an inch away from hitting a 42-yard bomb to Jamal Agnew for a touchdown. Even oh. though it didn't work, it's the exact right play call in the exact right, right situation. Oh, yeah. It those oh, are, it that was two Two of his incompletions were that and the drop by Marvin Jones in this yeah. game. Yeah. I can only remember one. He had one shaky throw where he threw behind on a dig, and I, I want to rewatch that, but that was it. Like, it wasn't – and the one uh, – he had a deep ball, too, that got uh, beat up. It was a nice play by the safety. But it was – man – he was on time. All that stuff's coming out. Like it's, they couldn't even get a pass rush even near him because the ball's just coming out so fast. That's what's, it's nice when you know what defenses every coverage or what coverage you're about to get every single snap. It's, it's a lot of fun for a quarterback. It's a lot of fun. We're going, Oh, here's cover three again. All right. Here's, Oh, guess what? We have cover three beaters. Oh, great. So I know exactly where to go with this. The whole ball. league is cover three beaters at this point. Yeah. Your, your entire goal at this point as a team is to see if you can get the team you're playing against into a defined cover three look. Yeah. And that's what the Colts want to do. Yeah. So a little backwards, a little backwards. I loved all the stuff they did with the move on with him on the move. All yeah. the boot stuff is great. I mean, really exaggerated toss plays, having yep. him come back to the left. All the boots to the left look beautiful. And then the one where he escaped 
and threw it back coming across yep. his body down the sideline. Really nice play. I love when he – because at times he can feel a little bit robotic to me in the pocket. So when he's allowed to be a little bit loose outside of the pocket and just let all the tools shine, I love that version of him. And we saw so that twitchy. multiple times today. They had design runs for him. They he kept on his own read. That it was great. Uh, no, he's he's fun. He had a play last week against Washington. That was it. It, it was the one that he got actually an intentional grounding on. But it was so cool because he uh, Washington was showing a pressure and he gets the snap and he like as he's faking, he's looking at the pressure as it's coming and he like <laughs> and he flips his hips and it's like you're six six. You you shouldn't be able to do that, man. Like he's so twitchy and it's, sometimes you forget it. Like it's just. That like oh then when he does get loose like you said it's like oh yeah you're a really good athlete at six six um, but no it was a really fun performance from the Jaguars day but just the Jaguars as opposed to the other side of the ball. It's now it's time for I'm not mad I'm just disappointed. We're still cool man we're still cool I'm not, I'm not mad I'm just disappointed. The Indianapolis Colts. <laughs> I'm not mad I'm kind of mad but I'm mostly disappointed. This is when we talked about them last week in this yeah. segment. We this will this will happen. You build the show. You have a team that had on paper a pretty disappointing performance. Yep. You go back and you watch the game and you think, yeah, it wasn't that bad. Yeah. You know, they had some real some squandered moments. Like they yeah. tied the Texans, but it wasn't as bad as the final score might indicate. This game today was as bad as the final score might indicate, and it honestly could have been worse. Mm-hmm. With some of the with some of the the breaks that they got, they had a recovered fumble that didn't need to happen. We talked about that drop Jamal Agnew touchdown, like they're not not a drop, but miss miscue that they yeah. could have ended in six points. This could have been worse for the Colts. Mm-hmm. I have a lot to say, but I'm curious about your initial thoughts on where we are with the Colts right now. Well, they ran 48 plays. It was kind of a for a team that I think okay, Pittman and Alec Pierce are out. I know you went down a little bit, but Jonathan Taylor only has nine rushes. It's kind of Pittman and Jonathan Pierce or Pittman and Alec Pierce are they don't play offensive line either. Right. So these issues were not solely limited to what the pass catchers were doing. Kelly Kelly had some botches passing off some games. I was wondering what the hell happened. It's a game I'm very curious to rewatch because they twisted them into hell in this game. They twisted them into hell. It was not blitzes. He was abysmal against four man rushes in this game. They could not block simple twists consistently in this game. And I, the Jags D line low key has it got some heat up front. Like their pass rushing, like front is I, pretty I, pretty good. I'm, I'm pretty pumped about it. They, it's pretty good. Walker Walker finished this game with one quarterback hit. He had some moments yeah. in this game. He had a ghost move on the left tackle, which when you're built like him is truly terrifying. <laughs> it he I, he finished this game with one quarterback hit, but he had multiple plays where I'm like, oh shit, yeah. Like this no guy, when he starts putting it together, is going to be terrifying. Yeah. Josh Allen was really good. Yep, I mean, he had, had, had a couple nice plays against Matt Pryor, a couple plays within some of those stunts that we're talking about. Matt Ryan was pressured on 37% of his dropbacks in this game, which is the mm. second highest rate in the of the week. They were only blitzed on 25% of their snaps. I mean, it felt, and it felt like that. He got sacked five times. His QBR today was six. <laughs> That's, that's not what not what you want. Not what you want to hit the floater. And I, I think it was just because he was trying to get the ball out early. That's what pressure does. It, it's not. It's the accumulated hits. You you then as a quarterback you hit your back foot and you. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not hitching up into that. And yeah, but that, that's it, that was that's what it is. I'm glad you brought up the offensive line because it was just oh this is supposed to be. One, I know it's not what it was maybe a couple of years ago. It's still one of the stronger points of this team. And 
and the fact that they're just having miscommunications between vets that's that's very curious they're two for 12 on third and fourth down like they it, it looked like an offense missing targets but also just like not getting anything going like they just looked stagnant it was weird offensive line and the way that you just framed it is perfect okay it's not as good as it was a couple of years ago mm-hmm. are the colts good how many know. elite players do the colts have like I, I, we have given the benefit of the doubt to the people that have built this team and to yep. Frank Reich because I do think Frank Reich is a good coach and I do I like do a too. lot of things that they've done on offense over the last few years. But I, I'm at a place now with this team where like wake me up in November if you win some games. Yeah, like I, I'm just tired of talking myself into them the way that I did last week. And I understand they'll probably be fine. Okay, this is yet another season where they have a new starting quarterback and they have they have to kind of sort through that. Mm-hmm. If you look back at what they were early on in the Philip Rivers year, they got much better as the season mm-hmm. went along. But how about this? How about be ready to play when the season starts? Yeah. I, I, I just, was just so tired of them starting like this and just being disappointed by who they are for stretches. And last year was at the end of the year. With the Rivers year was at the beginning of the year. That They've become a really, really frustrating team because they have these games way too often for a team that should be better than this. And it's not like Jonathan Taylor's new. It's not like, you know, he was your best player on your offense and one of the best players in the league last year. And I, I, I want to watch this offense too. I want to dive into the numbers a little bit. It feels siloed, which is not a compliment. Like that, that's always going to be a diss on the show. And the fact that it, it's, it feels like, okay, we're doing this play. Nothing was meshing together and not the mesh play, but just how everything is blending together and how it all looks. So it's an offense that I, I'm very curious to look back at. And I just want to look at this game. Also, I just want to look at the Jaguars defensive front, bringing some heat. But it was some alarm bells are going off too with the Colts when they hire Gus Bradley. And it's like, yes. Like, why? Why? Like, we, he's shown that like he he is what he is. And they play Patrick Mahomes next week. And, and- Patrick Mahomes, and they're going to run cover three. If this is what they're going to do, it's like adapt with the times. That's a very frustrating defense to watch at times. I know we're talking about the offense, but it just feels, yeah, it just feels like it's just like, oh, this kind of sounds nice, but nothing's blending together as a team. And like you said, they don't have the elite players to overcome that. That's what Jimmy's and Joe's do. X's and O's and Jimmy's and Joe's. That's what they do. They erase all the, the bad stuff that you have schematically, or they make it look really good. And if you don't have those guys, then it really does come down to your scheme. And the scheme is kind of lacking on both sides even in moments where they're trying to step beyond that there was a play today i think it was the fourth down completion to zay jones that on the little shallow cross yeah crosser yep and they dropped quitty pay on that play Mm -hmm. there's no idea what he's picking up or looking for nope no idea like it's adorable to drop your defense just kept running past them just ran right past (laughs) he just kept running past them so yeah that's cute and like some of the blitzes that you're bringing like yes it, it looks a little bit different than some of the other stuff but I think there's a difference between trotting out stuff just to do it and really showing that you've changed who you want to be and there are reasons behind some of the things that you're doing. And I think that remains to be seen with the Colts. And the offensive line is a genuine concern for me because there are no reinforcements coming. Maybe you get to a place where Bernard Raymond is going to be a better left tackle for this season than Matt Pryor is going to be, but they're not hurt. This is the group that they wanted to play with. This is Danny Pinter and and Matt Pryor and and all those guys. So I, I think that that's definitely something to keep in mind with this team is that they that we could see this. You know, obviously the pass catchers they're hurt this week, and and yeah. that's something that you give them a little bit of a pass. But other than that, 
this is the group they wanted to be on mm-hmm. offense, and that group did not show up today. Yeah, it was very blah. Very, very, very blah for a team that I was cautiously optimistic. And I, I'm still going to like, I'm not selling all my shares in them, but it's, They'll it's probably kinda, be fine. Yeah. But it's the concerns, the fact that the concerns I had are already rearing their heads, rearing its head. Like, you know, just, oh, this, how is this offense going to blend together? How are they going to adapt with Matt Ryan and being under center a little bit more or yada, yada, yada? How is it, like you say, the offensive line going to look? How are the pass catchers going to look? Do they have enough juice? And they, those are all kind of, Showing up, those question marks are turning into exclamation points. Yeah, again, I think they'll be fine. I, yeah. I trust that they'll they can sort through this. The division's not great, which we can touch on in a second. But these moments are just happening too often for my liking. Even if their long term outlook is probably somewhere around, eh, they're semi exciting. They'll be relevant as yeah. they push toward the playoffs. But uh, these are just things that keep coming up over and over again. But well, we mentioned the Jags plus seven hundred to win the division bet. But <laughs> that's where I'm at right now. <laughs> This, like this. Watching this game today and just how complete that win was for the Jaguars yep. and some of the you said juice on the other side of the ball, some of the juice that their defensive front has, it's not the craziest thought in the world to me that the Jags can push to win this division if their offense is going to look like this. Yeah. I, I mean, it's it's competence led by an emerging quarterback and a, a aggressive play caller. Like we talk about the communication stuff and, and, and like going forward on fourth down, there is not a shadow of doubt. On that team, that's like instant, instant. Everyone goes like Trevor just already looked. He just looked at the, at the sideline, like just getting the play call. It wasn't like he started jogging, going, like, "Oh, oh, we're going for it." He looked like they know because you won't. They probably communicated it, and that's when, like you say, when you have an adult in the room, it really, really helps. Next one here, Bengals offense. Not mad, just disappointed. Oh boy, more that's, of the same. Yeah, I, I don't even know what else to say at, yeah. at this point. They they couldn't run the ball. They couldn't protect their quarterback. Like some of the numbers, uh, 22.7% rushing success rate which this week was 31st in the NFL. Through two weeks, they're dead last in the league in rushing success rate, the Bengals are. Every single shortcoming that we saw from them today is what we saw from them last week and what we saw from them last year. Yep. And we talked about this before the season. The Bengals looked at their team from last season and they said, as long as we get better offensive linemen, that's enough. That's we it. need we need slightly better offensive linemen. Well, the offensive linemen, in terms of personnel and the names that you pencil into the depth chart, yep. are slightly better. And the results have not been there. The Bengals have been a really bad offense for the first two weeks. And even like Leo Collins had like not okay, blocking Mike Parsons is is no easy task. But he had mental bus. He he stepped down on a play. There's one on a third down. Joe Burrow had to get rid of the ball. And it's because he stepped down in a, in a six-man protection and it, it for no reason. You left Michael Parsons unblocked. Literally right in front of you. It's not like a weird look for him. For the te- for the interior guys, it was a funky look because it was a double mug look. But not for Lyle Collins. You, you, you're you blocking the down lineman, right? Number 11. He's right in yes. front of you. And he steps down. The most dangerous guys, right? Yeah. Michael Parsons is one of the most dangerous guys. He's right there. They didn't run a game. He just ran up the field. And it was... What what are you doing? And that's scary. And that that's like okay. So what are you coaching these guys? Burrow is holding on to the ball uh, like crazy. Like the best play in the first half for them was Burrow get hit late. Like that was the best. <laughs> that was yeah, their twice. best play. Best play. <laughs> it's been sacked thirteen times through two games. 
Like the David Carr record is, it might be reachable. Like it, it, which I thought was like one of the Joe DiMaggio stats. Like no, no one's going to come close to that record. And it's like, oh my God, that actually might happen this year if they're going to play this way. It's the same offense too. It's this, in the first half, I could tell they tried a couple shotgun runs, a little tendency breakers. As soon as bullets started flying, went right back to it. Under, under center run. Like nothing, but uh, it's, we talk about siloed offenses. This is the epitome of a siloed offense. You want to hear about their under center play, the under center oh, passing stats wait. today? Can't okay. wait. They ran five play action dropbacks today from under center. Okay. By my count. One was a sack. Okay. The four attempts, three completions for four yards. No way. They averaged one yard per attempt. It was screens. They ran like multiple play action yep, screens they and they got yeah. stuffed at the line of scrimmage. That was it. Can't, I mean, the offensive can't... line, it, it, and we're talking about the Jags and how bringing games, only bringing four, not bringing a ton of extra heat. Cowboys did not blitz a ton in this game. They didn't need nope. to. Just stunts, just nope. stunts all game from all over the place. You guys are consistently making, <laughs> and that's the problem is that even if the players individually are better, when you have a defense that is hell bent on making them play as one cohesive unit the way that the Cowboys are, credit to Dan Quinn, he does this all the time. The mm-hmm. Cowboys are stunting monsters mm-hmm. on that side of the ball. They are going to make you communicate and move as a group of five, and the Bengals are not equipped to do that right now. It was an yeah. absolute mess. Yeah. It and, doesn't and, help that Micah Parsons is part of that equation. I Is he already the second-best defensive player in the league? Oh, yeah. I think so. Uh, yeah. It's him and AD, Aaron Donald. Uh, I, I think so. After watching this game today, I, I feel pretty comfortable saying that. Yeah. No, you just expect him to get a sack on every single play. Mm-hmm. It gets it's absolutely insane. And it's the it's the speed to power and it's mm-hmm. just how quickly he converts it and some of the inside moves. I mean it he just moves differently than, mm-hmm. than other people do. Uh, the idea that every single time he's on the field, he can just wreck an opposing offense. I was down on the outlook for the Cowboys defense this year, just regression and numbers regression. and history yep. and everything that we've seen. He is so good <laughs> that I, I feel like I was maybe a little bit too harsh on that. He, he, he was my defensive player to your pick for a reason. He caves in an entire side. Like when they run yeah. a games, it's not just him getting loose. It's he's helping his teammates out. This is what this is gravity of a good pass rusher because he just caves it in. He takes two. He'll take three sometimes just because he's so fast. He's he's. He's one of the greatest athletes I've ever seen, and I'm I'm comfortable saying that. Like that, I'm not only testing wise, but just how he plays, how fast he plays. It's he's special. I mean, he really it's is. The power and, and the flexibility, yeah, and just every single aspect. His, to his, his motor, game. like he yeah. he knows how to use it. His hands, he's getting better with his hands, and yeah, it's it's insane what he does. Um, did you also see? Uh, speaking of just like this offense, did you see Joe Burrow yelling to Zach Taylor, "No more empty." Yeah, he straight up I did, just yelled. I did see that. Yeah, no more empty, Zach. It's like okay, okay, because honestly, every time and this is why this offense is frustrating. We say they're putting more pressure on the coaches this year. If they this is what they said they're going to do, we're going to help out the offensive line, quote unquote, and we're going to keep our skill positions because we have probably the best receiving core in the in, in the in the the country in the league. And they run the same plays though. When when push comes to shove, they're slant flat. They get into empty and they run slant flat. Like it's. They they panic and they it's like we're talking about Cliff runs the same four plays. Bengals are in the same boat. Like when it when bolts start flying, they just hit the same buttons. And it's <laughs> tape doesn't lie. There's these things called coaches and game plan tendencies. 
defensive coaches, they're going to look at them. And if you just keep doing the same things, they're going to tell their players, this is what they do in this formation and this situation. And the more tape you put out there, the more they're going to get better at it. They're going to watch, they're going to watch the Cowboys and go, well, we can't recreate that defensive rush, but we can do this coverage stuff and bite down and clamp down. And yeah, Jamar Chase is going to make some freaky plays. T Higgins is going to make some freaky plays, but consistency won't be there. And, and that's really, really hard to win in this league. A couple other guys I wanted to mention. Dorrance Armstrong had some really nice moments in this game as a pass rusher. I think that group overall played pretty mm-hmm. well. Dante Fowler had a couple nice little flashes today. He had an inside spin against Alex Capito. It was like, ooh, I like that. It was similar to what we're talking about. I know situationally this is part of the reason, but it's second and six for the Bengals. There's a minute 29 left in the game. And both of the Cowboys' defense tackles, one of which is Dante Fowler inside, is wind up so, so wide on second and six because they're just pitting their ears back and coming. Mm-hmm. Like they're just not even concerned. And I, there was a minute 29 left in the half, and maybe situationally you're not worried about the run, but just in some of those things where it's like, we don't even care. Like we're not even yeah. worried about you running the ball. We have n- don't even think you'll think about it in this moment. Uh, that really jumped out to me. But 10, negative, 10 plays for negative yardage in the game oh. total for the Bengals. 10. How many plays are like, total? Like, it's like I mean, a, it's, it's the opposite of an explosive. When yeah. you have a play for negative yardage, it's, yep. it might as well take an explosive off the table. So yep. that's essentially erasing 10 explosive plays from the game if you're Cincinnati and you just can't win that way. Yep. You just got to think about it. you're gaining first downs like that. And it, so if you're if it's second and 15, that's half a first down I have to earn extra yeah. that we didn't start with. And that's just a simple math game. And it's and if you're not creating them, like getting them back. That's usually the thing with an explosive offense. It's like, oh, we take some sacks or, you know, we have some turnovers, like maybe with like Stafford last year and that offense. It's like, don't worry, we'll we'll create a 28-yard gain and get it right back. But if you're not doing that and you're nickel and diming, like you're saying those play action screens, that's not the way to do it. Like you're not creating explosives. You're just making it, you're just becoming a lackadaisical offense. And it it just, even like when Burrow's in the pocket too, it it just feels like he doesn't trust what's happening. He gets to one and then he never goes to two. Burrow can progress. I've seen this guy do it at LSU. I saw him do it. I saw him. I've seen him do it in this offense. And now he's just going one and done. He's becoming a one and done read guy, which is not where you want to be. And it's not seeing ghosts. It's not anything like that. But he's going, I'd rather tuck the ball and create a play than trust what the concept is. And that's that's not a path you want to go down. Slippery slope. That's exactly what I was going to say. Very slippery. All right. Browns blowing that game against the Jets. We're going to get to that tomorrow. There's only so many things I could rewatch before we started doing this show, but that's going to be one of the games that we had on the Monday morning hangover. Yeah. Last thing Garrett I wanted Wilson, to talk about. <laughs> Garrett Wilson looks pretty good. He looks I, sweet. I, 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 he looks sweet. I definitely, definitely want to talk about that game. Yeah. We can only get to so many things, so please come back and check out the show we're doing with Deontay tomorrow. Yeah. Really excited about what that show is going to look like every Monday. The one thing I do want to talk about, though, before we end this segment, the Seahawks interception that DJ it's- Dallas threw. It's one of the greatest things I have ever seen on a football field. And okay, all right. Some people were throwing out other plays that were as embarrassing as this play. Butt fumble. Oh, yeah. Coates going for it on fourth down. The butt fumble is just a fluke thing that happens. Yeah. The idea. And it was Thanksgiving, so everyone remembers. Yeah, everyone saw it. Like, that's fine. Like, that's just a bit of incompetence in the moment. But when you watch this play unfold for the Seahawks, there's so many layers to it. Like the, the comedy is just so deep. Okay. How much shit have we given the Seahawks over the years for what they've invested in running backs? Yeah. Rashad Penny in the first round. They have all of these running backs. Like that was always the joke with the Seahawks. Look at how much they've invested in running backs. They put four running backs on the field 
together. It was a meme. Before the play started, it was a meme. And then DJ Dallas throws an interception directly to Charvarius Ward. It was into his face. The throw was hilarious because you could see it unfolding. You're like, okay, running back pass. I could, you could just tell because it, it's hilarious because all running backs. This is why Ladainian Thompson was so sweet of him. He would wait till the last second to throw it, and he's he's looking to throw right away. He he's Statue of Liberty position right away. So it's like, okay, here comes the throw. Okay, okay, you're gonna have to lob that one over. I could see the little flat defender there. Just lines it right at him. I, and and did you see the, the sideline replay of it? It was a duck too. So he threw like a six yard duck that almost like I, I'm surprised the defender caught it because it was just so wobbly. This is one of the funniest plays I've ever seen. I, I, I'm still laughing about it. I'm going to watch it. When I'm going to watch happening, it. On film. It's just like, what did you think was going to happen? Right. Like, right. hey, what possible reason would you have to throw that ball on that trajectory? And the fact that they just rolled him out, it, it was, it was beautiful. <laughs> I, I loved every single bit of it. And I'm going to think about it for a really long time. I am too. It's, it's, it's honestly, it's on the mountaintop or uh, Mount Rushmore. It's one of the funniest plays I've ever seen in my entire life. It, it was so fun because I could feel everyone. I think everyone could feel it happening. And it, it, it over, it overdid it. Like it, it was, it exceeded all expectations. It was Mad Max. ever could have dreamed of. It, it was really, Mad Max really Fury was. Road. That's what it was. I was expecting a good movie and it was like, oh my God, this is car chase wreck is even better than I was ever expecting. It was, that was nothing was but practical effects on that play, man. Yeah. <laughs> It's beautiful. George Miller, right. you did it again. We're going to take one more quick break and then talk about a couple guys that we took notice of today. Building a portfolio with Fidelity Basket Portfolios is kind of like making a sandwich. It's as simple as picking your stocks and ETFs, sort of like your meats and other topics, and managing it as one big, juicy investment. Mmm, now that's pretty good. Learn more at fidelity.com slash baskets. Investing involves risk, including risk of loss. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC. Member NYSC SIPC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, it's time for We See You. We're going to talk about maybe a little under-the-radar performance or a little quirk from the week that we wanted to point out. I want to start with Talanoa Hufanga, who is, if you don't know, a starting safety for the San Francisco 49ers, somebody who played in spot duty last year when they had some injuries at the position, but was not a highly drafted guy. Nope. Somebody who came into this year and we're looking at that depth chart, it's like, I wonder what they're going to be with him moving into a full-time starting role. He's been one of the most exciting players in the league through the first two weeks. And what's been so incredible is that it's not just in one way. Mm -hmm. It's not like he's playing around the line of scrimmage and he's making a bunch of TFLs and that's Mm -hmm. it. And it's limited the impact that he's having on some of these games. He's doing that, by the way. They're lining him up as the end man on the line of scrimmage and he's just tearing down the line, making plays in the backfield. Did it twice, I think, today. He had two more TFLs, I want to say. I also think he had two last week. But he's also driving on balls, playing top down from from safety spot. I mean, it's 
he is affecting the game in so many different ways. He's already becoming somebody that's just leaping off the screen. And I did not expect that two games into this season for them to find somebody like this to go along with all of the other players that they have on defense. You always got to watch those long haired guys on defense. Cause it's like, and Oh, that makes it so much better. It does. It does. He just stands out. He does. And honestly, for me, the question mark I had for him, cause I thought he would be, you know, limited in coverage. He's not the most athletic guy in the world. I think he ran a four, six and change at the, at the combine, but guess what? He's so aware and has such a high yes. football IQ that it doesn't matter. He makes up for he, that room for error. He grows because he is so aware of what's about to happen he's just around the ball he's he's a box score filler i mean it's amazing i i wrote an article this week that he he led all dbs in the nfl in week one in splash plays which is TF, tfls pbus third and fourth down stops sacks yada yada and he led the nfl and i'm sure he'll be right on top again this week uh he's just that type of player he's just that type of he's on a defense full of stars, I mean, truly, truly very, very good players, he's standing out. And so yes. if you're standing out on that defense, that's really saying something. He is truly affecting the game. He's wrecking the game for offenses. It's He's an incredibly fun player to watch. Yeah, I mean, just a little, a couple of the moments today that jumped off. I want to go back and rewatch that game to actually see how we played down to down. But in terms of those splash plays and those moments, he's had a couple of them for the first two weeks of the season. So yeah. I see you, <laughs> and, and I hope to continue seeing you for the rest of the season. Who do you got? I got our guy, Skarsgård, playing fullback for the LA it was Rams. A fever dream. It was a fever dream. The fact I got that this tagged. happened, and it was him. I got tagged so many times, so I was like, okay, what? They run it once, like a kind of a cute little look. They did it like a dozen times. Uh, I Middle of third quarter, I looked it up. They had 10 snaps where he was the fullback. Ben Ben Scroken is is his name, by the way, Skarsgård. But it's it, it's. Ben I want to watch Skaronic. it. Ben Skaronic. Skarsgård. He's Skarsgård. You uh, tried to give him credit, and you tried to actually say his name, and you still couldn't do it. I've never looked it up because I'm just like, what? Well, it's Skarsgård. Everyone knows what I'm talking about. I have a gift for it. I do the Pennywise, do the Pennywise gift and dancing. It, it's but dude, it. I, I want to watch it. I, I want to see it. It's it's it's. I, I love when the Rams tweak their stuff. I like when Sean McVay goes, okay, well, this wasn't working. What are we doing with our personnel? And this was 11, 11 personnel running eye formation looks with a receiver being your fullback and doing legit stuff. Lead blocking, split split zone. I, I'm, I'm, it's one of the most things I'm most excited to watch tomorrow and Tuesday is just to watch what it looked like. All these eye formation reps with a receiver for a guy's name who I always butcher. But Skarsgård, yeah, I see you, buddy. I don't. I want to look up their numbers and just how many play action plays they actually ran today, especially out of that look, because it felt like they used more. Like, eh, it was only seven dropbacks in this game. Okay. So six of seven for seventy-four yards off play action, which you know, ten point yeah. six yards per attempt on on those throws. But I, because it did feel like, all right, if we're gonna be in that look, can we use a little bit more downhill play action? Have that be yeah. more part of the offense than it would have been. So I, fascinating wrinkle. Uh, we talked – I think we complained. I think a lot of people did after that first game of no. you're in 11, 100% of your snaps. What are you doing What's to kind of tweak? change things up? Yep. And that's the tweak. That's the that exact the tweak that we were looking for. Last so year I'm was also the empty ex- stuff. This year it's like, okay, now they get – it's funny that they went empty last year and it's like, no, let's condense it. Let's get back to the old school eye. Can I give one more shout out before before we yes. end this? Andrew Thomas, left tackle for the Giants. Like, I see you, bud. I, I I know I didn't tell the producer about this one, but I want to give a shout out to him because he, he has greatly improved as a player. He was a top five pick, top 10 pick five 
a top five pick. He's what he looks like a very, very good left tackle. And it's, you know, it looks, it looks cool watching him on the Giants team that's kind of have done some fun things, but he's been a really good player for them so far. So I see you, Andrew Thomas. He was one of my breakout players. Not breakout players, because I think he had a strong second half of last year. Second season. half last year, yep. But the uh, when we talked about before the season, we did a show about guys who could kind of change their narrative this season. Guys and that really, we'd look at them in a different way by the end of the year. And he was one yeah. of my guys because I really felt like that was going to be the case. And Absolutely. it's fun to see him playing well, especially after how his career got started. Absolutely. All right. Before we wrap this thing up, it's time for any last words. Any last words? Any last words? Every week, uh, well, kind of, you know, a little little parting note on which to end this. Just one little way to wrap up the show. And this week, I want to talk about Trevor Lawrence and what we're seeing from the Jaguars offense. And we knew this. You knew when you looked at the Jags last season and just how incompetent they were top to bottom, that they were experiencing one of the worst coaching jobs we've probably ever seen. I can't remember a more disastrous situation than what happened last year with the Jags and Urban Meyer. And if you look at Trevor Lawrence's numbers, just purely the statistics from last year, he was one of the worst quarterbacks in the league. Mm -hmm. Every single advanced stat, every single box score stat, Trevor Lawrence was on his way to being a disappointment. And then you watch what happened today and you watch what's happened over the first couple weeks. And it's just such a stark reminder of how much situation and support system and ecosystem and infrastructure matters. In the NFL, where you land, who is around you, the pass catchers, the coaching staff, everything shapes careers. And the fact that Trevor Lawrence only had to spend one season in that just cesspool awfulness that was happening down there in Jacksonville last year, it is fun to watch him in these circumstances. The Jags aren't perfect. You know, they have their issues and they've been... They've had to build this team with one hand tied behind their back because of the mistakes that they've made over the last few years. But how consistently they're getting the most out of him and the rest of the offensive players on that team, what we've seen out of Christian Kirk, it's just hard to watch them and not think about how much it matters, who's around you, and how much that dictates success or failure in the NFL. Not a novel concept by any stretch of the imagination, but watching it today, it was just hard to ignore when you were watching Trevor Lawrence and watching what he might be able to become in even marginally better circumstances. We we want, especially these highly touted quarterbacks to come in and just like, it's overnight, changes everything. It doesn't matter what's around them. It still matters what's around them. It always matters. It, it's Tom Brady in his last year with the Patriots wasn't you know putting up huge numbers. He goes to the Bucs and he's got a great O-line, awesome receivers, and it helps. It, it's, it, yes, the best quarterbacks are the best quarterbacks, but it is still dependent on your coaches and the situation and the personnel around you. And this is like one of the biggest night and day differences you could ever see. And I'm, I'm happy because it's, it's, you want to see these guys succeed, these young quarterbacks, because it's, it's fun and just young players in general. So the league is better if Trevor Lawrence is good. Yes. More young guns, like awesome, cool, freaky, twitchy, like, Awesome gunslingers is the best thing possible in the league. You want these guys to be good. You don't want Steve DeBerg starting at starting you know 16 games, 17 games. You want guys that look like Justin Herbert, Josh Allen, Patrick Mahomes. You want as many of these guys as possible, and that's what makes the league fun. All right. That's all we got. A few things before we get out of here. Please subscribe to this YouTube channel. We're doing a lot more YouTube stuff. 
Nate's next edition of Wine the Clock will be out tomorrow, talking about that clay, play from Christian Kirk, speaking of the Jaguars offense. Yeah. So please check back on our YouTube channel and all of your social channels for that. Also, please subscribe to The Athletic, theathletic.com slash football show. It's where you can read Nate and all of our other writers at The Athletic all throughout the week. If you don't have a subscription, I highly encourage you to get one. We will be back tomorrow with Deontay Lee. Mentioned it a couple times already on this show. If you're just joining us or if you've missed it in the other times that we've mentioned it, we're doing a new Monday format starting tomorrow. The Monday Hangover, we're going to talk about the games we did not get to tonight. I already tied us to a couple of them, even though I didn't consult Deontay on this. Browns-Jets is one we'll talk about tomorrow. We'll talk about the Bears-Packers game, and we'll get into a couple more of those. Really excited about doing that each week with Deontay. We just wanted to give you a little bit more of what this show feels like, and I think that this really gives us a chance to let him shine and give you guys a little bit more of a meaty show on Monday. We'll still have some listener questions and things like that, sprinkling some mailbags here and there, but this is what we're going to go with on Monday, so really encouraged to kick that off with Deontay tomorrow. In the meantime, really appreciate you guys listening. We'll talk to you soon. This was The Athletic Football Show.